0: what is that noise i'm hearing alex oh yeah <laughs> yes i have i have very strong winds here as well so uh, i hope my uh, phone line doesn't get cut in the middle of our recording
1: <laughs> yeah
0: your attention please paul and alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately
1: what no way what is happening here
0: this is the last call for the layovers podcast really come on man this is our thing we got
1: this oh yeah <laughs>
0: And we made it. Of course, geeks.
1: Flight 102 to Dallas, Fort Worth. I'm still getting used to saying 100 and anything <laughs> for this. It's pretty crazy. Should I say
0: 102 or 102? I, I not know flights what's the...
1: it's 102 but I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's an American thing.
0: I haven't seen you in a while, Alex. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, we're recording on Monday the 9th of uh, December 2019, so it's literally four days after we last did, which yeah. is we're a nerd-off.
1: We're still trying to work through the backlog. <laughs> <laughs> so surprise, guys, and you'll get this episode just before Christmas. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah, Merry Christmas or whatever it is you're celebrating or not celebrating or doing Doing whatever you're doing, I hope hope you're having a rest.
0: Yeah, I hope you're not working. Although, as I was hinting in the last episode, I should be going to Astana or Sultan. Uh, That's where I'll be when this will be released. Uh, those guys, because they are, you know, Kazakhstan is what, Muslim and Russian Orthodox, I guess? I believe so, yeah. So they were telling me, oh, our client meeting is on the 23rd of December. I was like, are you sure? The 23rd of December? <laughs> so I am I was struggling to find a flight that flies back on the 24th to London. I still don't know because they haven't actually gotten back to me with a ticket. So I should be back on the 24th. Oh wow. There's not a lot of flights. You can see that the number of flights flying that day is lesser than any other day, at least from Kazakhstan. I don't know, I couldn't find some, so we'll see. Well, I should be back to London for Christmas. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll have another recording before the end of the year, just after you are coming back from Maui.
1: That's right, yes.
0: Ah. (laughs) So, uh, also, we um, want to salute all our French friends, because you have nothing to do for the rest of the month. There's a general strike happening, not on single flights. I think Air France has started flying again, but the ATC is... Still striking, and you can see if you go on Plane Finder or Flight Radar 24, everybody's avoiding the French airspace.
1: Yeah, my father flew up to the UK. He was due to fly on the day that the strike started and just thought better of it and pushed the flight back 24 hours. And actually, EasyJet were letting everybody change their flights for free. Oh, yeah. Oh, generous of them. Yeah, I I think it is. (laughs) In those situations, it's very generous. And actually, it was a good idea because they did end up cancelling the flight that they were originally scheduled on. I'm sure if there's no trains,
0: no doctors, no school, well, you know, just enjoy your entire month of Christmas, our French friends, because basically you have nothing else to do but staying at home and having fun. So there you go. It's uh, Monday morning, so let's start with coffee. Uh, I think you're having one, actually. I yeah, I don't. I have a bottle of water. I should actually fix myself one. Um, how hot do you like your coffee, Alex? You like it very hot?
1: No, not not crazy hot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, not to the point where I have to wait 45 minutes for it to be.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. That's the only reason I put a little cream in it, just to kind of reduce the. Yeah, exactly. Take the edge off. We're not talking about whiskey, man. We're talking (laughs) about coffee. So um, there was this uh, Airbus A330-200 operated by Condor, which is an affiliated airline from Lufthansa, if I'm correct, uh, that was flying from Frankfurt to Cancun. The captain got a coffee, very hot, spilled his coffee over the entire uh, dashboard and had to make an emergency landing. Actually, you know what? The control panel was so hot, that some of the buttons started melting, produced smell. They had to put their oxygen masks and divert. This is crazy. Remember, we had that story.
1: What was it? The Red Bull thing on the Air Force or something? Holy cow. I remember reading about this, and I think that there was some interesting discussions around protocol and rules for the types of containers. And then there was, I think, a lot of actual pilots on Twitter showing how the cup holders worked on some of the airplanes and that they were just basically useless. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is really interesting, because I don't know why I remember this so vividly, but I used to spend a lot of time on the flight deck when you were allowed to, going back and forth the school run, essentially, from Hong Kong to London. And they would have these almost like kid beakers, but yeah. were specially shaped for the cup holders on the flight deck of the 747-400. And it always struck me as so out of place in this beautiful metal and glass environment. You'd have these cups that looked like they were from a hospital or from a daycare, <laughs> But <laughs> they, they, they were to prevent stuff like that happening. Were they using paper cups or were they actual... They were plastic. Plastic, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Alex
0: and I have come up with a brilliant invention, I think, that will change the face of the aviation industry. A lid. You put a lid on the coffee cup and then you won't have that cap of accidents. <laughs> I'm
1: sure <laughs> that there's a reason. <laughs> well, I, I bet you that they just got a paper cup from the cabin and brought it up. But yeah, I think there was yeah. there was something about passing it across or how it... I mean, it it was one of those things where the rules were written out and it was done for a reason, but the rules were like okay, but that's not how it's going to work in reality type of thing. Yeah. I mean, all's well that ends well. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Air New Zealand on coffee is trialing
0: an edible biscotti coffee cup. You know what? <laughs> the face Alex just did. Uh, well, the good thing, I guess, is because everybody is removing plastics. That's a good thing. Yes. From flights. Well, that kind of solves the entire thing because you can basically eat your cup after drinking your coffee. I'm still wondering how long can you have your coffee
1: before yeah. the edible cup starts dissolving? How how long is the yes, the structural integrity <laughs> of that cup?
0: Air New Zealand pilots do not use that in the cockpit. I'm not so sure that the edible cup will survive for... But some exec who was presenting this new innovation says that the cup stays crisp at least as long as it takes to drink the coffee and longer. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't say how long that is.
1: (laughs) No, I I, you know what, I'm all for stuff like that especially when it's reducing single-use plastics and everything. BA, I think they got rid of them. Somebody will have to remind me. I haven't been paying attention. But BA used to have in quite recently in economy on short haul, these cups where there was the coffee grounds were in the cup. And then there was the filter in the part that you drank out of. And it meant that you got it wasn't instant coffee and you got real coffee, but it malfunctioned. What? like an unacceptable amount of times where you would just take a sip and you would have a mouthful of coffee grounds <laughs> <laughs> i only got that once oh i didn't realize that oh yeah wow. it was on the pay menu or whatever i would be interested to see if they've abandoned that or not do you drink coffee in flights
0: because there's this whole kind of you know people talk about should you drink the coffee from flights because the water tanks are supposedly not that great blah 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 i mean i drank coffee all my life in flights and i haven't I'm not dead yet, so maybe I've reduced my lifespan by ten years, but I don't know. Do you drink coffee uh, in yeah, flights? I, I yeah, I do, and
1: I've read all those articles about the potable water on on potable potable water on the planes. It feels like a nice clickbaity article, and I'd love to hear the science about it because it's usually an anecdote from a flight attendant saying the water's disgusting and the tanks are never cleaned.
0: Yeah, but then again, the water is boiled before serving you coffee, so yeah. you know. I mean, I don't know. That's not. I mean, I will continue drinking coffee. Um, Sorry, guys. In the last episode, I talked about 80% of the time about Emirates. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of Emirates in this flight, but not uh, in this flight, in this episode, in this but not thing, a lot. Yeah. Uh, but since we're on coffee, I wanted to solve a mystery that I raised episodes and episodes ago, which was about the chocolate that Emirates gives you. Because I finally found the information. I was always wondering why I was keeping getting different types of chocolate. In, uh, and I love chocolate. There's a Swiss, obviously. And I, I learned that they have no less than eight different chocolates. On board. Uh, on board but on a rotating basis I don't know exactly how that oh, works oh, so there's Godiva from Belgium obviously that's been at Emirates for more than 20 years There's a French company called Valorona. There's from Ecuador, Pacari. I never had those. There's Neuhaus from Belgium. I had those. Hotel Chocolat from the UK. I didn't know that brand. But I think I've gotten in a flight. Foreign Gallant from the UAE. I've had that. They're actually pretty good. Coco Jalila, also from the UAE. And last but not least, Canonica from Switzerland. So as a Swiss, I would say that Canonica is not the best chocolate. Sorry, guys. Canonica is actually the company that... Basically owns Geneva Airport because every single coffee, every single chocolate, every single thing you get in the Geneva Airport is from Canonica. So, yeah, there you go. Good for Emirates to have all these different types of chocolates.
1: Yeah, I, uh, there's there's something very satisfying about a little chocolate, no matter where you're sitting on the airplane. And that's why Swiss, it's just that, nah, what a yeah, great I way know. to make people feel happy and good is just by giving them a little piece of chocolate. I love that. I love that. You
0: flew Air Canada last year or not? Yes,
1: to Vancouver.
0: Yeah. yeah. Did they give you chocolate? Yes, they did. Oh, they did? Yeah. So there's a new meaning to getting rouged. There was this flight, Air Canada Rouge. There was a 767-300ER. I don't remember where it was traveling to and from, but doesn't matter. Suddenly, the pilots got a strange odor. It's very strong. They didn't know what it was. They made a Pan-pan, so that was kind of very serious. They put the oxygen masks on, and they turned the aircraft around and went back to Montreal where they had taken uh, off from. And you know what it was? They had uh, a cargo of durian. <laughs> you're kidding. <laughs> so now you're not getting rouge with durian flavor. Durian. My God. Can you
1: imagine? Have you eaten durian? I have eaten durian. It's not bad, actually. No, the, smell the taste like is fine. It kind yeah. of tastes like custard, but the smell, is smells like an open sewer. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've been to hotels that maybe you saw this when you were in Kuala Lumpur recently, but there's in the lobby of hotels or the, the elevator atrium, there's all these signs saying no durians in Hong Kong on the MTR. In Singapore, on the subway, same. You're not supposed to have durian. So imagine in the cargo hold there's
0: durian and the guys smelled it so strongly, didn't know what it was, thought they was an electrical failure and declared PAN PAN, which is insane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh my god. We talked about people trying to open doors in the last episode. That was uh, our story with Vietnam Airlines. There was a story that just happened this week. It was a BA flight. It was en route to Saudi Arabia, and I think an hour before landing. Uh, poor sod I'll say poor sod because sadly I had a panic attack and started to wanting to open the door midair. air uh, my good there was this uh, very strong I think boxer or something that uh, took him in a stronghold and he says I managed to grab him and was preparing to slam him hard <laughs> but uh realized that he wasn't quite right in the head so I held him and tried to calm him down which eventually worked man that must be quite a ruckus quite a uh, traumatizing yeah, as another you, passenger
1: you never know what what somebody's motives are and you know it's it's when an airplane is in flight it's physically impossible to open those doors but it yeah. doesn't matter it doesn't no. matter because you don't know no. what somebody's motives are and and you know what kudos to that boxer for realizing the situation that he had no nefarious motives it was yeah. he was just Having a minute, and it happens. So, yeah, yeah,
0: but wow! I hope it never happens to me because, like you say, even if you know that the door won't open, you're still not very reassured when someone tries to, like no, you say, of we'll course. Be, oh. yeah, it'll
1: be frightening.
0: So, BA, let's start with good old BA. We both went to Madrid. We mentioned that in the last episode, so we'll cover that uh, in a minute. But before the news that we hinted at, I think, or maybe not, IAG, the parent group of BA, bought Air Europa. Yes.
1: What do you think about that? Uh, It kind of came out of the blue. I was very surprised. We never even had a hint that this was happening. I think the initial reaction from a lot of people was that now Madrid is Fortress IAG. Yeah. And that they, especially people that Madrid is their primary airport, are a little worried because... Air Europa have a lot of traffic to South and Central America from Madrid, mm-hmm. along mm-hmm. with Iberia. And there's basically no or very little competition on those routes anymore. So they're, they're a little bit worried about the, the pricing situation in the near term. But I was really surprised by this. Air Europa is that airline you always see and you pay no mind to. <laughs> you know, they're just I'm, there yeah. all the time. Have you ever flown them? No. I don't even no. I didn't even know until I read this article where they flew or what their fleet was. They're not a small airline. No, they have a I think uh, they fly
0: to about 70 destinations and uh, they probably also have around 70 aircraft.
1: Yeah, and you know, they're not a a, a rinky dink outfit either. They've got dreamliners. You know, they've got Max 8s on order. They're not they're not a small airline and they've just sort of grown quietly in the background. They are a member of Sky Team, So obviously now
0: they should be, but we know we keep talking about Erlingus, so will they? But they should be leaving SkyTeam and joining one Weldman. Again, will it happen? We don't know. The IAG chief, uh, what's his name? Woody Walsh Uli Walman, uh yeah. said that um he wants to transform Madrid And I can say it now because now, by the time this has been recorded, people will have watched Attaché, or if you haven't, just close your ears, Narnia. So, uh, (laughs) he wants to transform Narnia into, I'm going to quote here, a true rival to the Europe's four largest hub, Amsterdam, Frankfurt, Heathrow and Charles de Gaulle, and reestablish the group, IEG, as a leader in the highly attractive Europe, to Latin America and Caribbean market. Yeah, well, yeah, but I I have the same feeling. My biggest issue with that is, and I don't go that many times to Spain per year, maybe like three times, is like already now, Trying to find a good deal to Spain is really hard because Iberia and BA have locked the entire thing down. And if you add Air Europa, they might just increase the prices even more. I'm, I mean, as a Spaniard, I would be like, uh, isn't that an antitrust issue yeah. at some point?
1: Like, they have the entire market locked down now, basically. Yeah. I don't know. There was some interesting debate on airliners, I think it was, about this. And, you know, the BA will point to the low-cost carriers as providing that counterweight, but I think people are most concerned about those South America routes, which Air Europa have a lot of traffic on. That was their, their really their, their specialty, especially to the leisure market. So that low-cost carrier argument doesn't hold much water, really. Yeah. And Air Europa last last year or earlier this year, actually, I think, were given permission to fly domestically in Spain as well. So mm-hmm. you now Absolutely. have Iberia, Voiling, and Air Europa. Yeah. All IAG companies. All IAG, yeah, exactly. Flying domestically in Spain, so you basically have—I don't know if EasyJet fly intra Spain, but then you you just have Volotea as the only other competitor. Mm-hmm. Exactly, I think right? Exactly. Is there anybody else? I don't think. Oh, maybe there is, but
0: I've not paid attention. I know that in 2017 they had a. Uh, an agreement that didn't last with Ryanair. And especially, and maybe that's also why IAG did a move. Just last year, Air France KLM was looking into doing a GV with Air Europa. But were you not mentioning me that maybe IAG move here was a reaction, uh, trying to, as the other groups were getting stronger, they were trying to also suddenly say, okay, what else can we buy in Europe to be a bigger group?
1: Yeah, I think we've talked about this, we've touched on it, for the la- well, basically since the the dawn of this of this podcast, that there's been these land grabs and this consolidation in Europe between those three groups, and Alitalia is now the only one that's future <laughs> whose future we don't know where they're going to end up, but they will end up with one of those one of those people, and it could be directly with someone like Hato or via IAG or something like that, but. There's definitely this consolidation, which, as we've said, ad nauseum, is never good for the consumer. Ever, 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 ever. So you went
0: to Narnia, but it was very recent, because this is where you recorded uh, Attaché, your last episode. It was very cool. How was... Do uh, flights? you? what did yeah. you fly to go there?
1: I was in PA. And I actually... It's really interesting that you mentioned that about the prices to Madrid, because they were so high that I was compelled to use miles. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it, it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds to fly on BA. I have hundreds of thousands of miles on BA just because I never seem to spend them. And it just it made total sense because <laughs> the taxes and the fees are nothing. They're like 20 quid. Yeah. yeah so it yeah. made sense. I mean, BA, BA were fine. It was a very easy flight, although it was a creeping delay. Wait a minute. Hold on. I'm completely misremembering this. I flew on Iberia. <laughs> <laughs> I flew on Iberia. I was able to buy, use my mouse to fly on Iberia on BA, which was interesting. There was a creeping delay. This was out of Heathrow, out of T5. So it was one of those weird Iberia flights that goes out of T5. And I was sitting in the lounge and it was one of those, quite unnerving in a way, because you wait for the flight and it says, do you at this time, do you at this time, do it. And then it says, C agent, not, oh. not canceled, not delayed, C agent. And that that has ominous connotations from, from <laughs> Hollywood and honestly from reality as well. But So I was like, what's the deal with this? And they said, oh, well, there's really bad storms in Madrid, so we don't know when the flight will be able to leave Madrid. So I was like, it hasn't left Madrid yet? Uh, <laughs> as they're like, no. So it was just one of those creeping delays and creeping delays and creeping delays. And I was looking for... I'd set up an alert on Plane Finder to say, let me know when the plane leaves, because then I'll know how long it's going to take. But... Eventually got here. They turned the, the flight really quickly to their credit. And I was in business class. The, the crew, I think, were tired because they were like, <laughs> screw this. You know,
0: <laughs>
1: it was uneventful. It was fine. I didn't eat anything. And I had a drink, which I'll come to later. But the most, by far the most interesting thing about this flight was there was a couple, I think that the, these. Two people didn't know each other, didn't know each other well, just started happening to chat while we were all waiting for this flight. I think she was Spanish, he was Scandinavian and chatting. And then as we were all queuing up to get on to the flight on the jet bridge, they happened to start talking to the guy in front of him who was Scottish. And they were just chatting about mundane crap, you know, just where, you know, (laughs) just nothing in particular. The types of things that people talk about who don't really know each other, but are, are in a confined space together. And then the Scandinavian guy turns to the to the Scottish guy and says, oh, you know, where are you headed? You know, you're staying in Madrid. He's like, actually, no, I'm going to Peru through Madrid. Oh, oh. oh that's cool. Why are you going there? Nice. Oh, I'm a musician. Oh, wow, well, that's neat. What do you, do you, ah, are you I in a, know. you know, what kind of, what 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 kind of instrument do you play? It's so like, well, I sing and I play guitar. Are you in a band? He's like, yeah, yeah it's a band. I'm, I play in a band. Oh, that's cool. I mean, is it is it like a, a symphony or is it? No, no, no. It's it's a band. There's about seven or eight of us. Oh, that's cool. Does it have a name? And he's like, yeah, it's called Franz Ferdinand after Archduke no Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> and they're like, it's called what? Franz Ferdinand. And you could see like three or four people in front and and people like me like turn and go and go. Oh yeah, so it is. And they're like, Franz. So you could take out their phones and start searching for it. And they're like, oh, my God. (laughs) And so it turns out that the whole band is on this flight and they're going to Madrid to connect to Lima. And I sat next to the drummer.
0: No way. Who was
1: the nicest guy. We, We it turns out we could have been. You know, total best bros because he was watching the new David Chang show. Before that, he was watching the It Crowd, both of which I'm massive fans of. Iberia, to their credit, have a non-alcoholic beer. Yeah, and we both ordered True. that. We started talking about that, so it was really nice. They just were lovely, lovely. Obviously, very humble people because the guy didn't let on to who he was. But yeah, anyway, that's a that awesome. that, that made an otherwise very dull and frustrating delay fascinating and they they seemed like great guys and i wish them well they were on the last leg of a two and a half year tour
0: oh my goodness yeah. wow wow holy cow well that's a, such a cool story bro yeah. oh man i love it oh wow I was trying to think if I ever had a, any type of rock bands or stars. No, I had, like, movie stars, but never... Oh, damn it. Yeah, I thought that oh, was cool. That's super cool. Wow. Anything else about these flights? That I mean, after that, obviously, uh, the rest is very dull, because uh, if you sat next to the drummer of such a famous band, the rest yeah. of the flight must have been... you know.
1: It yeah. was <laughs> pretty... Yeah, I mean, you go into Madrid and I'm Terminal 4, and you immediately get lost... <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, coming, we had a good time in Madrid, of course, our dear friend Alex Barrera, yeah. uh, he's on camera features in the episode. And then coming back, like we were in T4S, which is yeah, like ultra Narnia. Exactly. And this it's still so Barcelona. This. Yeah. I experienced this in Barcelona as well recently. I'm convinced it's some massive social experiment because they give you signs two thirds of the way and then the signs stop and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah,
0: yes, yes. Madrid is so much like that. You're like,
1: okay, so now what? Look around, there's no more signs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it drives me uh, cuckoo bananas. (laughs) And it's funny because in the comments of the episode, no one was like, you're wrong. That's a great terminal. Everybody's like, yeah, screw that place.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, our friend, uh, Celine Madrid. You wrote us a, a couple of months ago telling us that Madrid was not that bad. It's not that bad. You know, fix the signage at least. Yeah. I mean, just it's just it's, it's, it's ah oh darn. I mean, I'll come back to Madrid in a second because I'll get to the fact the, the one that everybody's been waiting for because I got messages about it, which is why I decided to talk about it in this episode. Yes, I flew the three hundred and fifty BA to Madrid, so yes, I finally got to try the club suite, the new business class from mm-hmm. BA. In one word, is great. It's a much better product than before. Finally, all access. So yeah, I mean, it's a massive improvement. It's true that like we both said and I think you said that first actually that it's almost disappointing that they didn't go for something custom they went for basically a seat that everybody has which is the super diamond seat it's the same that you have on the American Airlines streamliners for instance right so yeah. but it's it's nice honestly it's modern the colors i mean it seems to me sometimes a BA, I mean, the colors for those who've never been BA, colors are basically what? Dark blue, dark gray, black and gray. Yeah. It's okay, but it seems to me that sometimes the choice of colors is more, oh, this will not wear and tear easily, more than yes. this looks great. Like hotel uh. carpets. <laughs> <laughs> At least it could go from the PDX carpet. That would be actually a bit more funky. Uh, So, yeah. So, look, the the seat is nice. It's Super Diamond. So, guys, if you've ever flown business class, you probably have encountered it in your life. It's probably, by the way, I said in the last episode of Vietnam Airlines 350 on long haul was the cafe seat. No, it's probably the Super Diamond, which is this one, which has this kind of little screen on the side, which is not a screen, which is just a touchscreen for the seat. It's nice the door. okay, so the door. the door. The door is a nice to have, but it's almost useless as in first, when you stand upright, so landing and takeoff position, okay, I'm tall. But you can see the entire cabin. So it's not as if, you know, the seats are that high. Like on Cathay Pacific, you almost see no one else, right? You feel very private. There you can see the heads, which is fine. It's not Delta where your head is five feet above the seat. It's okay. But as soon as you put yourself into some kind of lounge mode, the rest disappears. And that door doesn't serve any purpose because anyway, you're not seeing anyone already, and if you were to close the door, anyway, the flight attendant walking by, because he or she is standing, will see you anyway. So I'm not exactly sure why a door exists. It's, it's like, ah, I mean, yeah, maybe it signals to the flight attendant that you don't want to be bothered because you
1: want to sleep, for instance, but I mean... Do you, do you think it's a reaction to the almost universal criticism of the previous club world that it, you were so exposed on the aisle? Yeah, maybe. I'm not criticizing the door, I'm just thinking that a lot of people will not
0: even bother closing the door. You'll test it, Alex, at some point. You'll realize that when you are there, when you sleep, you don't even need to close that door. uh, The door is locked, obviously, when you depart, when you land. they took a long time to actually unlock the doors. It's not a central system. The flight attendant has to come and unlock each of the doors, walking down the aisles. It takes a bit. It's it's okay. The door, as well, doesn't touch the ground. There's also space, like, you know, like the famous uh, US uh, toilets, you know, when you are in the public toilets. This is why I'm not entirely sure it's very useful. But it makes privacy better. If you're in the center, you know, it's one, two, one. If you're in the center, the divider between... The two people in the center, if you're not a couple, is very reminiscent of the current divider, which is kind of plasticky, goes up thing, you know, like a yeah. not really transparent, kind of opaque. It's okay. So it's not a queue door. It's not, of course, a first class door. It's nice. The table, the tray table is a bit like ANA. It comes oh, towards you. Okay and then it unfolds. There's a lot of storage. That's what I really liked. There was one storage on the back when you put, you know, the magazines as well. I wasn't fully able to fit my iPad Pro 11 inch. So It's not that big, but you can still put stuff there. There's a vanity mirror, you know, there. There's two storages on your side next to the window. One is very shallow. And at first, I was, "What do they have this? And then I figured it out. It's a Perfect, literally perfect, a very smart idea. Storage to put your phone. So you put your phone there. For instance, when you sleep, it will never slip you know, under the seat or whatever. It's clever. It's nice to have. It's not yeah. necessary. But you could put your passport, obviously, or whatever. Uh, the third one is, like in the first class BA, it's the one that has all the sockets. So there's a two USB-A, there's a power, there's where you put your headphones as well and there's this is why the first one the shallow one is made for the for the phone i guess because there's a space to run the cable between that first and the second one Mm so it's not bad and then there's a fourth storage which is near the cubicle so no it's nice there's enough stuff i would just say that the 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 angle at which the power outlet is being put in that third story as I mentioned is a bit awkward so depending on the type of uh, chargers you have you might struggle to close the lid and or move it around but it's okay honestly it's an improvement from what we have the ottoman and the, the footrest is is nice as well I like the fact when you are in takeoff or landing mode, you have to put the armrests down, and you can't put them up for the rest of the flight. I love the feeling of weight; you press and it slides up very nicely. Right. I, no, it's really well done. There's a seatbelt with uh, three points. I wasn't sure whether or not you had to put them, and they say, and that's the the quirk here. It's the longest ever manual demonstration speech ever. It takes six, seven minutes. Wow. They. First of all, maybe they didn't have the video ready for these type of aircraft because I'm sure that at some point they will run a video instead of having to do the those manually. But it runs and they explain every single thing of the seat to right. once they do it. And they're very proud of it because they, the captain, when he welcomes you on board, the flight attendants, when they do that speech, they keep repeating this brand new 350 and the brand new seat and the brand new thing. And you're like, okay, <laughs> Just, you, you can feel they've been uh, trained, especially for the entire crew has been trained, especially for these aircraft. As always, would it be nice for me to sleep for several hours if I were to take that? Because it was Madrid; it was two and a half hours. Yeah, I'm probably just just touching the end, but it's fine. And um, maybe because it was these test flights, they didn't give any pillows, and I was like, mm-hmm. okay. But otherwise, I would say it's a it's a it's a it's a good seat. The one thing that's missing, Alex, no air
1: vents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, uh, everybody has uh, yeah. our our obsession with that. Yeah, to the point I where have. we send pictures to each other back and forth.
0: Like, <laughs> look, <laughs> uh, um, the IFE. I feel it's new, as in, I think at least it's a revamp of the UI. It's a bit roundish. The UI. It's cool. The one thing that they finally have, they have the plus and minus thirty seconds buttons, which I adore. Which we've some... yeah,
1: we've all been conditioned through Netflix and the like to have those, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you can
0: even use those while the ads are running which is great you can skip the ads with that <laughs> the screen isn't uh, a uh, 2 billion inches wide but it's still a nice uh, size it's very responsive maybe not as much as the 350 from Cathay Pacific but it's not they made a lot of improvement the one below par item is the headphones. They're a bit so-so, plasticky, not very comfortable for long, so get your own if you are traveling with that, I would say. And again, the crew, not only were they trained into delivering these different kind of speeches, I felt they had a different training overall very good morning sir will you have breakfast the whole time locking me in the eyes smiling having perfect wording i mean not that ba doesn't do that ba is pretty good but i felt the difference i'm wondering if they don't get special training for that flight uh, for that aircraft sorry so i I
1: imagine they would and that's probably an opportunity to do a a refresher on the soft side of it people (laughs) side of it But great flight. And the way back,
0: exact same aircraft, because I guess, you know, they were running this one on that route for that month. So, yeah, it was maybe, what, a month old? (laughs) feel the newness of the seats and everything. So, no, really, really good. I'm sure some of our listeners have already traveled that in long haul now. They fly to Dubai, but they fly to Toronto. And I think they've introduced a few others already. So, there you go. Tell us how it is in long haul. But uh, it's an improvement. At least you're alone. You don't watch awkwardly the other dude in a reverse position for the entire direction of the
1: flight. excited uh, to see the back
0: of that product. Yeah, there you go. I'm sure you're going to have a chance to fly it soon, Alex. Uh, yeah. And they're rolling that seat out in other aircraft soon as well. I don't know how fast that rollout will be, but they will be rolling it out elsewhere as well. Madrid, Narnia, one comment. Sorry, Sully, our friend Sully, because he loves that airport. And... They've introduced a new e-gates. Have you tried the new e-gates?
1: Yeah, I think I did. I don't remember
0: them. They are a joke, man. They're slower than human passport oh, control. Oh, yes. <laughs> they,
1: they have the same ones at Barcelona. And I, and I almost sent you a message saying we finally have a, a rival to Heathrow and Gatwick for the… My God. Yeah. They're it, so slow. They are so slow and so picky. Oh my god, And they don't work and the UI
0: doesn't make sense and half of them were already not working, they were out of uh, condition and the other ones, you know, they there's a green light that tells you you can enter the E-gate because the other person which was there has been processed and that's your turn. The green light would turn off at random moment. You clearly had someone in front of me was still doing the passport scan and suddenly the green light would go off. And I'm like, I cannot enter. There's some, clearly somebody I can see. And I'm yeah, no. I thought the Brits had the worst, like you said, but no, these are the worst. I Actually,
1: mean, to be fair, I passed through Heathrow T3 the other night and I went from airplane to curbside through T3 in 11 minutes. Yeah,
0: yeah, me too. When I went back with Emirates, I have a feeling that... The more you use an E-gate from a terminal at throw, the more it knows you and the easiest it goes. Maybe they've seen my face so many times that now they're like, okay, fine, this guy, we know him. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but it's the feeling I'm getting. uh, Yeah, (laughs) I kind of hope it was that way. The one hilarious thing about that E-gate in Madrid, and I have to say it because, and I know guys, I keep saying I'm tall, not because I want to say it, but because it creates some awkwardness in some situations and that one was hilarious you know how on many of these e-gates the camera kind of tries to find your face so it goes up and down to your height this one wouldn't i had to be practically on my knees for the camera to being able to take a picture of me and compare it with my passport <laughs> it was like i was like is it not no so i'm lower 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 i'm like, like okay now you got me i'm like guys i mean ah, oh, that was fabulous uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and have you seen probably you've seen that that um, Uber is back in Madrid because yes. every single wall is an advertising for Uber. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, it's good
1: cuz the they're they're not the most uh, taxi drivers in that city, frankly.
0: What? Actually, you'll understand why he says that. (laughs) My God. Those jerks. Uh, And uh, to finish about Madrid, on the way back, I went into T4S, into the, the Iberia Lounge, where I used to hang out a lot when I was almost commuting there. They finished the revamp, and it's okay but the seats are so stiff mm. either because they're so new not enough people have sat on them or they made a bad choice but it's it's an okay lounge iberia something whatever i forgot the name anyway did you know that that somebody wants to build another airport in madrid i didn't know that i the didn't know that either one, it's a private company and Currently, uh, I think it's, is it a private airport, a military airport, which is 30 kilometers southeast of Madrid, and they want to build that to kind of compensate for Narnia. Wow. Let's see. Maybe we'll have another to try on. So, Cylon B.A., you said it in the last episode. What's your update on your data breach, Alex?
1: I think they've combined quite a few separate lawsuits into one gigantic lawsuit, so oh. they are still gathering data from people like me who are affected by it. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't expect anything to happen until well into the new year. Uh, so you mean like many law firms kind of gather together? Exactly, and, yeah. I think uh, that that's the wow. sort of the way that the courts have asked them to do it. So uh, <laughs> the, you know, the, the law firm that I've been going through have been keeping me up to date as much as they can. With, you know, this ruling has happened, and that's what this means in the in in reality, so I expect nothing to to be honest with you, but um, we'll see what happens. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I hope, uh, as I said in the last episode, I hope you're getting rich. That would be nice. <laughs> One world is, and because the last episode I, I bashed. Miles and less, miles and more. Uh-huh. Miles. Uh, and we were saying that uh, there was a trend of alliances making it hard for us to using them correctly. Well, One World is bucking the trend because One World is evaluating. It doesn't mean that they've done it. It's evaluating new customer initiatives, blah, blah, blah. But they want to do one thing that will be very cool for us is no matter where you have your miles in the One World Alliance, you should be able to upgrade yourself or buy rewards flights from
1: other One World partners. That would be amazing. If it that would really be amazing. Worked. I think it's unlikely to happen. I just can't imagine how it would work <laughs> with, with American Airlines because American Airlines upgrade like the, the, the upgrade system in America still confounds me where you go to every gate and you see this list of people that could be upgraded. I still don't understand who it works and how you get it and if it ever happens. But are they ever going to release inventory for those upgrades? And if they did, what's the value to them? Are those miles then passed? I don't understand how that would work. I don't really understand enough about revenue management and the miles thing. But I, I just... I, I w- but don't get me wrong. This would be amazing. Can you Imagine being able to buy a premium economy seat on Cathay and upgrading to business, yeah, yeah. Or, or American for that matter, or JAL or anybody else. But yeah, anybody uh, else. Yeah, h- anybody. how is it going to work in reality? That's what I want to know. Or Cathay. Yeah. I mean, I, the difference in business class product, first of all, across the group is is gigantic. And I
0: just—they already some of these airlines, including BA, especially have so many issues with their IT systems. So trying to find a way to kind of cross link all the accounts with whichever um, I, I hope they do it because that would be really cool because it's really hard for us to try to find upgrades on other partners when you have Avios or the executive club of BA. I yeah. mean, yeah. So yeah, I hope they do it. At Me least too. they're trying to go in the right direction. You mentioned in the last episode that you flew premium economy with the BA back from Mexico. Was it that? Yes. Did you fly? Pr- yeah. Did they tag... Your, I mean, your gold. Did they tag your luggage with? The, I don't know if you even had a check-in luggage. Did they tag your luggage with priority when you did that?
1: I don't remember, to be honest with you. I didn't have any check-in luggage. Oh, there you
0: go. Because we had a Amit Shah on Facebook says and asks us the question: You flew to Nairobi. Flying premium Economy is silver, and uh, he asked the checking lady why they didn't put the priority baggage tag, and the answer he got that BA removed that perk. It's only if you fly club or first that you will have the priority, but not premium Economy. That check uh, checking lady not only apologized, but said that it wasn't well communicated. So uh, I hadn't heard of this. This is why I asked you if you had your luggage tag.
1: I don't know either. I can't what imagine you the last time I checked luggage. What's your take? Do you think people that are like Amit Silver flying premium economy, should they get priority tagging or not? I think they should get the business class priority tag. Yeah. And gold yeah. gets first. That's always the way it's been. You know, actually coming back from now, we went how long ago? I don't remember the last time. I'll, well, I'm flying in three days on BA and I'll tell you what happens
0: okay good by the way i have an inkling uh, a feeling that ethro you know ethro has these things where they they tell you as a customer experience uh, type of service they they display they say We've been on time that many times. Luggage delivery was that fast on average in the past month. Security wait times were that, you know, they they give you these numbers live. I have an inkling that since we're talking about priority tagging for luggage, because they want to beat that number and they want to stay having a good number, they literally open the cargo door of a flight, take whatever comes first, have super fast delivery with one guy running with some luggages, put them on a belt... It doesn't matter if it's priority or not. It's random things, and then because it's always it's always the same behavior. You have. Five luggages arriving, mm-hmm. then you wait 15 minutes, and then you have the actual proper delivery. I'm sure it's because they want be yeah, so to be able to say... Yeah, so what we really should be getting <laughs> is first bag
1: delivered, last bag delivered.
0: Delivered, yeah. This is, I mean, every time. Every, I'm sure there's, you know, a, a job description where you're the guy which just runs with a couple of luggage to put them in a belt just to beat that time and to say, hey, look, we,
1: we did that in three minutes. Anyway, you went to BLL. I don't know what that is. Billund, yes. Yes, and Denmark. Why? Well, I took my sons to Copenhagen. Yeah. We obviously flew, in, flew into Copenhagen, and that was that's great. It's a lovely airport, well-connected, very, very easy. And then we drove the two and a half hours from Copenhagen to Billund so that we could go to Legoland.
0: Oh! Yeah.
1: Nice. Yeah. Billund is tiny as a, as a city. I don't even know if it's a city. It might even just be a town. But it's kind of out there, and you're driving, and you're driving, and all of a sudden, you're sort of in this... Town, I think it's probably got maybe six thousand people in it. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, wow. it's t- it's tiny, but it does have the Lego global headquarters and factory, and oh, it has wow, it has uh, Lego Land. So, the airport is huge no way absolutely <laughs> huge yeah com- for a, c- a city the size of of 6 000 people yeah it's it's got it's got a big airport is it we- built out of lego bricks or no that would be cool <laughs> although there's there's all there's all these references to lego of course throughout i'm the, sure yeah yeah the place but yeah it's a great airport very big uh f- again for the for its size there was a lot of traffic in and out. There was I think they do like three and a half million people a year, which obviously isn't huge, but Yeah, but there's Legoland. It's it, a big terminal. Is it a cool park? Sorry, to,
0: to here, the Legoland. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is cool. Oh wow. We had fun, some good roller coasters. If you've been to the one in Windsor, I think it's I think it's a little bit better. It was nearly empty, so we didn't have to wait at all. Oh wow, that's so for cool. rides or anything like that. And they have this really cool like uh, holiday park attached yeah. to it with which was where me and my son stayed and oh, nice. uh, it's all like themed and they do a really good job of coming up with all these activities for the kids so yeah it was really really good and the, the planes take off right over Legoland which of course is <laughs> doubly fun there's nothing heavy I don't think Okay. Uh, it's mainly it's a focus city for Norwegian and Ryanair okay. and Wizz Air so there's a lot of, uh, of that Low type cost. of traffic and then um, SAS as well but a Are lot of fruity- it is seasonal we flew BA, right? We flew BA and BA have um, that weird subsidiary out of Scandinavia. Okay. What are they called? Sun Is it Sun? Air? Oh,
0: yeah, 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 I remember. Uh oh, yeah. It eludes me with something like that. Yeah, yeah, Sun something. Sun Air. Yeah,
1: it's Sun Air. It's one of their franchise airlines and they use Dorniers. Oh. They use exclusively. They have 16 Dornier 328s and the jets. But they only go to London City, and I was really trying, but ah. we went out of Heathrow. So uh, yeah, it was a it was a three twenty. It was a it's such such a short flight, like an hour and ten minutes back to London, and it was very easy. My my, we 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 were in business class because we used miles, and that's nice. all they had. So they my kids were completely indifferent to it, but they um <laughs> they had fun, they had fun. So but lovely airport, really modern, beautiful, as so many Scandinavian airports are. Great amenities, yeah, yeah. great food. The lounge there was big and well stocked. And yeah, a lovely little airport. Oh, wow. Nice.
0: Nice. Well, I spent the month of September and October basically going back and forth to a shell de gold myself. It's not a lovely little airport, trust me. No, it's really <laughs> the one thing they do good, since I just criticized Madrid. The one thing they did good, they've introduced e-gates. For the longest time, they had a, some type of e-gates, which were called Paraf. It was exclusively for French citizens, passport holders. Now they have e-gates. They are super fast. They are good. So they did something right. These e-gates are actually, uh, passport gates are really, I, I don't know, you need to check guys if anyone outside of EU passports can use them. But they're very, very, very good. There's one thing that they have in common, however, with Madrid, Charles de Gaulle and Madrid, and I hate it, and I hate it, and I hate it. In the entire freaking runways, apron, and parts of the terminal, there's no cell network the mobile network just doesn't work you're 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 trying you're trying you're trying you can see people fiddling with their phones when we're taxing. of course lending you're not supposed to do that when you're about to depart <clears throat> uh, <laughs> there's no cell maybe was it at some point because they considered you know that it was like a safety measure and they didn't build cell towers but come on we're in 2020 soon i mean there's no cell coverage it's just dire yeah just, that's incredibly just, yeah, yeah they forgot to build the cell towers i thought the french had the best engineers but i guess not uh, <laughs> so a few feedbacks and reviews i just picked a few ones we have so many and as we keep repeating we don't have time to cover them all i'll pick a few others in forthcoming episodes First, already one about episode 101, Kevin, at K8Vin on Twitter. He was super clearly, super happy that we released an episode because, oh my God, oh my God, been saving the most recent episodes for my upcoming flights. And he says he's about to fly Vietnam Airlines 350 from Charles de Gaulle to Hanoi in business. So, Kevin, I'm sure your name is actually Kevin without the 8, but still Kevin. As I said, it's not... The exact same business class. You probably have a better experience because it's a long haul. Let us know how it is. Yeah, uh, I'm really interested. And he's a big fan of the show. Thank you. No, we are thanking you, Kevin. Thank you so much for reaching out. Uh, Clemente Geronimo on Facebook put a review about us. as best airline travel podcast around. Enjoyable conversations about business and first class air travel. Yeah, we know it's mostly about business and first class air travel. That's my fault. Um, <laughs> Fly seat one A. Hello guys, another podcast you should listen to. They gave us a shout out for hitting 100 episodes. Thank you so much. It's on Twitter at Flyseat1A. On Instagram, another congratulations from OzkarFZ, O-Z-K-A-R-F-Z, on Instagram. Congrats on hitting 100. Keep it up, and it would be awesome to have a listener meetup at some point. So I'll let you into a little secret. That was our plan. We wanted to do actually a a meetup for episode 100, but of course it fell right into where we were traveling like mad. Probably in 2020, we'll organize something at some point to have a, a listener meetup. And maybe when I travel, maybe I should in some cities just say, hey, guys, let's meet up in a pub and some people show up. I don't know. It's true that it's so cool to meet you guys. So yeah. we'll, we'll organize something. On Facebook, Michael Henderson. Thanks for the shout out, guys. And he explains us OOL airport. You remember that's in Australia. He got its name because it used to be Kulangata Airport. Uh. And so C-O-O-L Angata. So they removed the first C. It's a suburb where the airport is based. And it's named after the shipwreck Kulangata from around 150 years ago. So there you go. That's why it's called OOL. And if we pass by Brisbane, he wants to say hello. Yeah. Of course. We have no plans, but we want to. I mean, Australia. I said uh, four or five episodes ago that I might have been coming to Australia by the end of the year. It didn't happen. Maybe next year, hopefully. On uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, five stars. Loving this podcast from farther fandom. From the US. I am enjoying this podcast as I'm working on my day with it, playing in the background, a lifelong AV geek, AV geek. I love the unpretentious style of the discussion and inclusive nature of the dialogue. Sometimes I'll be on BB. BB, there must be another podcast. BB, BB, or is it a forum? I'll be on BB and read Banter, uh, reads as a forum, back and forth that is hypercritical and might even require a Rosetta Stone or secondary degree as each person tries to outsmart each other. We are, Alex and I, we aren't dubbing down at all, but simply refreshing to hear people were genuinely enthusiastic and the tempo content and appreciation of the subject shows. Happy flying. Yeah, thank you so much. It's very kind. Thank you. It's very, 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 very kind. We got our first three stars on (laughs) iTunes. What? Yeah, I love the good pun, the title of the review It's a Long Haul. Podcasts are too long. A shorter weekly podcast would be better. Yeah, we know. Is from UA Traveler in Canada. UA means you travel a lot. United, I guess. Um, yes, we know. We're not going to change it. We're not asking you to change your rating from three to five stars. Don't worry. It's all fine. We have implemented, however... The chaptering systems are on purpose for that, so people can jump back and forth. But yeah, we know we just talk as much as we want sometimes. That's it. (laughs) So pause right now if you want to take a break. On Instagram, Ivan Broco found our podcast four months ago. Stupid me, I started with the newest one, and now I'm going backwards from 100 back to first one. Everybody does. Yeah, thing, you're not the only one. <laughs> but thank you so much for taking the time to do this. My God. He likes our predictions. Episode one, we did some right predictions. Probably we effed it up quite a few times as well. Let's yes. be honest, Alex. Yeah, not...
1: I don't think we get called out on that enough. <laughs> <sighs> and Alex,
0: he has another comment on your voice. Since last Uh-oh. time you were late night radio, This one, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, Alex sounds really very posh. Posh? uh, posh. I've never been
1: accused of that before.
0: (laughs) But I know, yes. But I know his attache YouTube channel, and he's not. There you go. Uh, just the way you say it was really so good in every episode is apparently what is posh. I don't know. There we I mean, are. well, I need to re listen to Alex saying too, it was really apparently. so good. I do a mix of Alex saying that one day I'll have the you know technology to kind of find quotes in past episodes and I'll do like a what? mashup yeah. of Alex saying it was really so good or or fine, it's fine, fine. It's it was fine. fine, yeah. Air Canada. W- You guys know your shit. Well, thank you. That's very, very cool. Thank you, Donnie4126 on Instagram as well. Hi, Paul and Alex. He's called Donovan. Huge fan of the podcast. You're the first one I've ever listened to. Well, it's good because we don't put that bar that high. So then you have a better podcast to listen after this, uh, Donovan. (laughs) I've listened to all 100 episodes and all the episodes from Mastication Nation in about seven months time. Wow, (laughs) that's dedication, man. That really is. (laughs) He works in the aviation industry, works for Delta Airlines at Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport. He would love for us to review that airport sometimes because he'd love to hear about what we think of it. It is my home airport after all. Love the podcast. I'd love a shout out. There you go. Donnie4126. Donovan, you have your shout out. We haven't done. I haven't ever been to Minneapolis Central. Me neither. I, I was just thinking about that. And we had somebody else actually talking about the airport. Kyle Potter. Kay Potterman on Twitter. Also congratulating us on hitting 100. Such an achievement. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow it's only gotten better. That's, that's that's nice good. to say. Yeah, yeah, good. At least we're growing, so we're growing. Never stop growing. So, just in case you guys ever do my own airport of MSP again, here's a cool story. Because they wanted to grow, they partner with you know the big companies that are in the region, so 3M, Target, Best Buy, banks, and etc. And they asked all these companies, "Where do you want to send your employees over the next several years? What are your growth plan?" And they mapped the entire planning of the airport, thanks to that, and they grew super fast because they they're using actual data from companies, so that's very interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Time. I mean, it yeah. makes total sense when you say it out loud, but yeah, yeah exactly so, uh, right, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we haven't been, but he, he says that if we ever make it there, he will buy us a beer. So oh, Well, you thank you very much. That's a reason for us to go. One of my best friends actually worked for Cargill, and Cargill is based in the region, so I should just try to go there. So there's two votes for MSP, but we haven't been, but we promise you guys, Donovan and Kyle, they will cover it at some point. So back to news, United. Oscar Munoz is leaving.
1: Yeah, what? That kind of came out of nowhere, didn't yeah. it? There's a
0: story <laughs> there. <laughs> well, don't you think, because they're naming Kirby, Scott Kirby, CEO, he was a president. And we know that American Airlines wanted him as their own CEO. So yeah. don't you think is maybe United saying, oh, shit, we're about to lose Kirby to AA. So let's ask Oscar to take a rest because, you know, he had his heart attack and he did, he did a great job. I mean, we might criticize United in terms of growth. It's amazing what he did. So they just ask Oscar to say, you know what? Take a rest now, and Scott, please do not leave for AA. Here's the CEO position. Maybe.
1: Yeah, I think that sounds very plausible indeed. That's a a, a power move to do that. (laughs) But hey, you know what? It worked, apparently. So are you on the dark uh, side or the light side of
0: the force? You're talking about power move. I don't know. That's a good question. (laughs) <laughs> because you know that United has uh, unveiled their Star Wars, we talked about it, their Star Wars plane, uh, which is a uh, 737 800. Yeah. Um, and it has on one side the dark side of the forest with Kylo Ren, on the other side, it has the light side of the forest with Ray. So they had their inaugural flight. So three three configuration inside. Half of the seats are blue. The other half of the seats are red. So depending on where you sat in the in, in the plane, you have to choose if you are from the dark side or from the light side of the force. Wow. I guess most people, since they do not pay for seats, they just be allocated randomly. So United is now deciding for you whether you're in the dark side or the light side. That's United's force, I guess. That's,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: I think that's yeah. true. Yeah, that inaugural flight was fun because they had of course stormtroopers who posed for pictures with travelers and everything. They had a Star Wars themed safety video. Uh so that's cool and they got also Star Wars amenity kits and pins that was only for that flight. The video, the safety video will run for the entire duration of that uh, single this one only aircraft that does that. Um and the really cool thing and uh, that I spotted is when that the uh, flight inaugural flight was in the air, they had made a partnership with FlightAware, which is one of the tracking software, similar than the ones we keep mentioning, Plane Finder and Flight Twenty Four. Only that when you were looking at that flight, the registration is N three six two seven two. It's an X wing that appears on the tracking software.
1: <laughs> that's cool. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, it is, right? Uh, so United also, as a blow to Boeing, ordered a shit ton of uh, 321 Neos. Because probably they're like, okay, you're not delivering the max, so we're going to go for the 321 Neos. And they'll take more than 50 321 XLRs. So, yeah, United is becoming a huge Airbus
1: client suddenly. Yeah, I think that the days of buying local are over when it comes to airplanes. It doesn't seem like that's a thing anymore. Yeah, you're right. We keep saying that. We keep avoiding the topic
0: that we're going to talk about the Max in a forthcoming episode. Not that we don't want to talk about the Max. It's just that it's, you know, it's not the most fun story to talk about. And um, so probably the next one or maybe the follow up one. Uh, But since... There's this kind of war of, it's not a war, but you know, who sells uh, aircrafts the Moose every year. I caught the number and it's it's crazy because of that Max story. That's the only thing I'm going to say about this. Boeing delivered in the first 10 months of this year, 321 planes. Airbus delivered 648 planes. Mm. And when you talk about orders net orders airbus had 542 orders net orders boeing minus 95. yikes (laughs) it's not a good year for boeing man no it really isn't oh shoot i mean usually they you know these numbers are even and probably next year if the max is relaunched boeing will leap forward but wow it's minus 95. that's yeah that's unbelievable And and Tim Clark, uh, I know, again, on Emirates, Tim Clark said that all that is great, but there's no way in hell that Airbus has the capacity to compensate for the lack of the Max. There's no production capability to produce enough planes. And he's especially unhappy because Fly Dubai has,
1: what, 140
0: Max on order or something? And they're not being delivered, and he's compromising their growth.
1: Yeah, and I always wonder about what's happening with the 777X as well, which cannot be helping them as well, because... As this, this has been pushed out, this project has been pushed out, people are delaying their orders, and maybe they're not even accepting orders on the books either. So, I don't know what's going to happen with Boeing in 2020, but they need to get back in the saddle, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's- Which is why the, the news we announced, uh, we talked about last week, last week, week's episode, about... Emirates converting parts of the 777X order into Dreamliners is a bit like, I'm guessing Is because of that. They're like, well, it's not coming. We need aircrafts yeah. so give us, you know. So let's address that uh, because we've been hinting at that for the past three episodes at least. Tim Clark said he was fed up with receiving aircrafts that did not meet contract specs and were beset by problems. Ouch.
1: Yeah, this used to be like a once in a blue moon thing where a plane would be delivered and it would be overweight, but it keeps happening, and it keeps happening to the point where there's um, people are dying. Yeah. Uh, but, well, like, yeah. I remember even when when I was working at Kathy as a gross little teenager that this was happening where planes were being delivered overweight almost invariably from Airbus because they were in that phase in the late nineties, well mid to late nineties, where they were growing quickly and they were releasing a bunch of new products like the three thirty and the three forty, and they were not able to hit their target weights by tons and that was pissing people off but this i think he's articulating a frustration that is held by almost every airline exec when you sign the contract based on you know a certain expectation of of numbers and then those numbers are missed and then you have to adjust your fuel costs and everything else and you have to make compromises on product and all of that so i think he's this is something that has been said quietly for a long time or at least not as consistently and he just came out and said this is getting ridiculous the rate at which this is happening
0: yeah and he says that both by the way, from Airbus and Boeing, is you guys are both not delivering what you promised us. We're not better testers for your aircrafts. We're getting the aircrafts, and it's oh, uh, we need to do iterations before they're becoming the ones we were promised in the first place. And well, he has weight, because the the orders so many of those aircrafts that he has weight to say that. But like you say, he's not the only one thinking about this and. Besides the Max, clearly they had issues. We we know the issues with the Dreamliners. I mean, the I think Air New Zealand had to cancel like a shit ton of long haul and links with Tonga and other places in in Australia because again the engines have issues. We know the dire stories about the South Carolina factory as well. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, I I mean, I I get it, right? It's like uh, you, me getting a car, and the car is missing a wheel. And then they say, yeah, but in six months, you get a wheel, and then you get this, and then you get that. And I'm I'm exaggerating on purpose here. But yeah, he he also criticized the OEMs. So the seat manufacturers and others, uh, Tim Clark, say, you're over-promising, and you're under-delivering. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. He says, too little, too late. Yeah. As passengers, we don't really feel that. But I'm sure that as the industry, as the guys who actually try to make money by running an airline, they must be pissed, most of them. Yeah, well, exactly. So he's also pissed at the disappearance of the 380. (laughs) There was a fascinating article in airlineratings.com. And I'm sorry, guys, again, because I'm going to talk a little bit about Emirates for the next five minutes again. So that's too much of Emirates. I'm going to shut up the next episode, I promise you. Uh, (laughs) The first question is, where would emirates be today without the a380 of course not nowhere but clearly he says we would have faced slot compression at dubai it's true that when you look at dubai without the 380 and the growth impossible to make it happen so the 380 was fundamental for what emirates is today yeah we know that the ceo of air france disqualified the 380 as being too difficult and uh, Clark answers that, yeah, well, Air France never scaled it. They stayed at ten aircraft. Yes, we face the same teething problems, but we dealt with them. And of course, if you have a he calls that a subfleet of ten, it's a bloody nightmare and the costs go through the roof. Yeah. But if you got a hundred of them, it's a bit different. Your unit costs in operating with that number are a lot lower than having just ten. And that's the jab he makes at pretty much everybody else. But look at what they all did with their interior what did they actually do to shock and awe the market community with the 380? It was the same old shit. (laughs) He's right. The the showers, the bar, and the big TV, we did it for a very well-calculated reason. Not to blow our trumpet, but simply, we had taken a huge risk, and huge investment, of course, the 380 is very expensive, to belittle that investment by putting a business class seat of the 90s, a first class seat of the 80s, and an economy class seat in IFE of the 90s was not something we would have done like Air France (laughs) yeah and (laughs) BA the whole approach to the 380 at Air France and Lufthansa was just more of the same they lost the opportunity to really define it they never ordered any more BA didn't order anymore. And that's what he has, since you just mentioned BA. BA should have had the same number of A380s as we have, hundreds of those. They got 62 million people in the UK, a fully congested Ethereum hub. That should have worked easily. He's not wrong.
1: He's not wrong. I completely agree with him.
0: Yeah, he's not wrong. He says, and that's very interesting, he says what also ended up being the cancellation of 380 was bad timing. He said, from concept to delivery, it took Airbus 12 years. And that's way too long. The type of cycle for our business is very dangerous. And unfortunately, it came at the exact wrong time. So, you know, there was a peak of everybody was flying. There was the financial crisis. Obviously, when the 380 arrived in service in 2008, that's the worst time you could ever imagine. But... Had it come out in 2004, you would have seen way more orders and it would still fly today. Yeah, I he, agree. He says maybe he needed someone like me to persuade shareholders to buy 150 of them. And and he's probably right. Again, I'm I'm not idolizing Tim Clark here, guys, because I know some people say yeah, but I, I think he's right. And for the economics of it, and I found that fascinating, he says, I'm going to quote it fully here. When I fly an A380 from Dubai to LA with 550 people... It burns 13 tons of fuel an hour, about 200 tons for the trip. A Dreamliner-9 in our configuration would be carrying around 200 to 400 passengers. With two flights of that Dreamliner, which burns half of the fuel with a number of seats available, the fuel cost per seat on the A380 is cheaper than a Dreamliner. Wow. But I mean, the one thing that they did right is that they filled those planes up. That's the thing. They if you did. don't fill your plane up, clearly it's more expensive to fly a 380. Certainly, uh, in the last episode, most of the flights I fly with Emirates on a 380 are full. There was exceptions, but they are full.
1: But there's, uh, fuel cost is one thing, but there's, there's RASM and chasm, right? And all cost mm. per seat mile and revenue per seat mile as well. And one has to imagine that, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's, I would love to know those numbers as well, but it does make He's, very compelling points. One number
0: he adds here, since you mentioned that, because I have the entire article in front of me, says uh, the A380 has a dispatch reliability of 99.5 percent. In the last five months, when they started, it was 90 percent, which meant that an aircraft would do four to five cycles on the day and the second day it would break down. Oof. It was, Yeah, so the beginnings were, were tough. This says now that we know, and now that we run it, and now that the Airbus iterated, it works like a charm. So that's why I think he's pissed, because now that finally reached where it should have been, it's cancelled. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and to finish on this, and I think again he might be right, he said, Airbus will rue the day that they cancel the 380. As we reset the global economy, which is happening now, demand will pick up again. Your airports aren't growing at the pace they need to grow with passenger increases of 4% a year. 160 million extra people will come to this industry every year. So what will happen is that the supply of seats will be reduced, price will go up, and he expects that in the middle of the next decade, airfares will rise significantly because of the lack of seats and the lack of the 380. That's fascinating.
1: Yeah, it really is. It'll be very interesting to see how much of that prediction comes true. Yeah, Airbus were ready to
0: basically dedicate the program just for Emirates, almost like an ad hoc program for Emirates. But uh, Tim Clark says he would have cost us like a fortune to have like our basically our own dedicated production line just for us. So mm-hmm. that's why they they turned it yeah, down. Obviously, the Airbus CEO answers to that. that the The day we were sorry about the closure of the program is in the past. It's not longer the case. We love the 380. And I know Tim Clark has a very personal and emotional relationship with the 380. Mm. (laughs) We would never have had a successful 350 if we'd never had the 380 because we learn many things. So in many ways, the 380 is still alive through the 350. Of course, that's a very corporate talk. Yeah. Yeah, It's right as well. What did uh, the Air France CEO say? She's called Anne Rigay. So because uh, Ben Smith is the CEO of Air France KLM, but the CEO of Air France is Anne Rigay. She called the 380 totally obsolete, too expensive, too big. Mm. Well, I thought she was talking about the unions or the labor code in France. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I ain't that the truth. And maybe if you had less strikes, you could actually feel people in place. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so since we're on the 380, BA is keeping the 380. They didn't make an announcement, but I mentioned at the top of the show, the 350 Club Suite. They've announced a rollout of the Club Suite, and in that rollout, they will retrofit the 380 with the new Club Suite seats. Good. Meaning they're keeping the 380. So.
1: Yeah, I think they said they were going to... I mean, do you think how long they've held on to the 747s? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And have you seen that the Qantas has also introduced
0: their new 380 interiors? Yeah, so they're clearly hanging on to them for a while as well. Have you seen the pictures? I think they were on the designer from Johnny and the designer. They have a new business class seat. It's finally one-to-one. Probably the Thompson Vantage XL, like I say, A bit different. A lot of wood. Very, very nice. But what is cool is that they built a, a new lounge space on the top of the stairs, you know, where the showers are right. for Emirates. And it looks pretty, pretty cool. The first class seat, which I tried once from Dubai to London, has only seen a light refresher, they say. But it's pretty darn good already. So there you go. Another airline that keeps a 380. That's uh, that's nice. There are only 11 deliveries left to be made For the 380, the last one will happen in mid-2021. Who gets the last one? Do
1: you know? Probably Emirates. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Well, they have all of them or something. Yeah, yeah, could be be,
0: actually. One airline that never had a 380, but that almost died but didn't, Hong Kong Airlines. Yeah, they're on their deathbed, it feels like. Well, they just got funding. Oh, did they? I missed that one. They didn't say how much and neither did they say from whom. But they got funding and the... What's the name of the FAA in in Hong Kong? the Uh, local authority.
1: The CAA is the same as Hong Kong? I don't know. Yeah.
0: So they reauthorized the license. So they are still flying. That's good. But they had cut all their long-haul flights and they didn't have enough money to pay for the IFE. So there was no more IFE because they couldn't pay for the content. So I I don't know. Yeah. They couldn't pay, I think... More than half of the staff
1: last month. That's bad. It's really bad. Yeah, it's bad. Do you think they will survive? Nope. I mean, we don't know the nah. now with Hong no? Kong and the recession that it's in, due to everything else that's going on. I, I that, yeah. that, that they're dead. You never had flown them, or no. did you? Not even to Ichigaki, right? Hong yeah. Kong Express. I've but they run on Hong Kong Airlines. It's a bit sad to to hear that they are. Yeah, it is. Know. It is sad because it did put pressure on Cathay in some regards for price at the very least. But now that's it, it, they're done. I think the writing's on the wall. <laughs> Yeah, that
0: situation in Hong Kong is not fun, because uh, I don't think that we'll see a rebound of the economy soon.
1: No. Uh, are you planning to go anytime soon? Nothing firm yet. I, I'd like to, but nothing on the yeah. books. Well, we might not have the chance to fly Hong Kong Airlines. And the problem is,
0: knowing that, I might not even try, because I don't want to have my ticket cancelled, because the well, are exactly. is disappearing. It's a bit... Uh... Though, we keep saying that about Alitalia, and Alitalia is still going for some miracle, I guess. Yeah. The Vatican City is not far. Probably they keep getting miracles from there or something, because there's no way they... I don't understand how they see the life. Uh, one more before we go to the airport, I think. One or two more, one more. Eric Hoffman. The story comes from him. That's why I want to thank him, Eric. Do you know the airline called Avatar Airlines? Nope. So it doesn't exist yet. They filed like an application to fly... Usually we don't really cover why is there a new airline, but this one has two quirks, one especially. One is an ultra low cost carrier that there are many. I'll come to the pricing and you'll see why it's your ultra low cost. But the quirk that is interesting, they will exclusively fly high density 747-400s. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Why? I don't wanna I don't wanna be their revenue manager because I don't know how they're gonna make that work. So they say they will offer nineteen dollars on short trips, seventy-nine on coast to coast flights, and ninety-nine to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And uh the, 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 the CEO, the founder, says that with regards to where passengers will be exposed to advertising, nothing will be sacred. Anything that you see or touch will be available for purchase. Can I buy the plane, actually? Uh, I, I
1: This is not
0: going to so, happen. Yeah. The inaugural flights will be at 99 cents. The fare. It, I don't know how to. Yeah.
1: It, it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, so let's hope it starts maybe it will last for three days but they will fly between LA Las Vegas JFK and Miami and then they want to go to Orlando O'Hare Philadelphia, Tampa, San Francisco and Phoenix and they will eventually also go to our airport of the day Dallas, Fort Worth I I just I don't know it seems to me a bit it's not going to happen The economics of flying 747, 400, uh, 581 people for these destinations. I don't know. Can you feel the play I don't know. Uh, I mean, good luck. It's not going (laughs) to (laughs) happen. Alex is like completely nope. 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 Oh, well. So, Dallas. Dallas Fort Worth. If we never see Avatar Airlines, we'll only see Avatar, the James Cameron movie, but there not this go. one. What do you think about Dallas Fort Worth? What's your I've never on that been airport? there
1: until this year, and then all of a sudden, I seem to find myself there all the time. But it's a gargantuan airport, absolutely massive on every level. The terminals, the the just geographical footprint. It is. I can see why people have a love hate relationship with it. You have to go through it as an American. Airlines flyer, you have either that or Miami is where you're going to go through. I'm not a huge fan of that airport. I'm not a huge fan of that airport. It's creaky and old and cavernous and, you know, but there's something almost awe-inspiring about it, that it's sort of been this fortress since the dawn of time for, for American Airlines and United States aviation in general. It's kind of always been there. But this these six terminals with the plan to build another one that are all sort of, linked together by this creaky tram system or walkways where you feel like you are in a part of the airport you really shouldn't be in. <laughs> I love it. <that. laughs>
0: uh, go on, please go on. This is this is poetry. It's it's
1: Yeah, it's a very very strange airport. I haven't had bad experiences there though to be fair, except for once when I missed a flight which I talked about. And I had to go to some weird, dank admirals. What's the? What do they call them? They're not admirals clubs. Yeah, admirals club. The flag, admiral's pla- Flagship lounge is a nice one. It was horrible, <laughs> <laughs> and just sort of pissed off anyway because I'd I'd been bumped off this flight. But yeah, it's and it's it's long and storied, and it's it's big and impressive, and it's very Texan and American, and in so many regards, <laughs> I I. I don't avoid it. I don't avoid going through Dallas, but I've been through it enough times to know that one needs to leave a lot of time when transiting through there, even if it's a domestic flight, just because of the sheer scale and size of it. Immigration can be hit and miss, even if you do the mobile passport thing, which I've done and talked about on this podcast. It's a, it's like the Heathrow of the US <laughs> in many regards. It's actually not a bad description. Or even Charles de Gaulle. Yeah, a mix between... But- Air Transport
0: World (ATW) doesn't agree with you because uh, <laughs> you got. After all you said, they named DFW as the 2019 Airport of the Year, and these guys have named Hong Kong and Changi as Airport of the Year, and they named it Airport of the
1: Year. I wonder why. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. It, it's not bad. It's not bad. No, it's, it's not just, bad. No, I know. It's I know. huge and cumbersome, and and yeah. Now it's not very sexy.
0: No, I don't find it appealing. I mean, I went only once. It was in the episode, I think, 1999, when I commuted from San Francisco and then going to Hong Kong. So I stayed only in Concourse D, Terminal D. Yeah, Terminal D. Like you said, they have like six terminals. I think the sixth one is being finished, this five. I, it's huge. Like, I think we mentioned it. It has its own postcode. So large it is. It's larger than the island of Manhattan. I mean, that's, that's the size of it. I think Denver is the only one that is uh, bigger. It's the fourth spiviest in the world by aircraft movements, 15th by passenger traffic, and it's the ninth international gateway into the US. Wow. So that's about what, 70 million passengers a year? Yeah, I've only been to Terminal D. Which is the American Airlines terminal basically for international stuff. It's uh, it's 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 yeah. It's not sexy. No. I loved I love the flagship lounge. It was really nice. I mentioned it again, just go back to the episode where we talk about this. And I loved a few things like having the live wait times and security in the app, which is otherwise also very unsexy. The app is really It feels like from the very early days of iOS, like 2009 or something. But yeah, I cannot say that I don't like it. It feels very functional. Yeah, same. But there's nothing about it that makes me uh, super happy. It's huge. So five terminals, I think there's almost 200 gates. One interesting trivia... It was built, unlike Heathrow, which we are comparing it to right now, it was built from the start with the expansion in mind, which is where they took a place where they have like lots of room. It can go up in the master plan to 13 terminals, like 300 gates or something. Wow. I don't think they will ever reach that, because even though there's growth, maybe not for 13 terminals. The Terminal D, the one I was in, was actually built not that long ago, and it was built with the 380 in mind, although not a lot of 380s actually end up there. I think Qantas flies there. Yeah. yeah, And they made some renovation, I think not in the D, because, again, D was built not too long ago. I think they spent just, what, $2 billion on A, B, and C, but haven't been there. so. But it, it doesn't look, I don't know, it looks very concrete-y. Yes, yeah, uh, very industrial. And I love brutalist architecture myself. This is not even brutalist no. architecture. This is just a slab of concrete. And I know we have... DFW fans listening to us don't hate us when we say that. It's still very functional. It was a very perfect layover for me. It was very easy. Again, I arrived, I think, D22 and left from D26 obviously would have been... Only Frankfurt can mess something like that up, having two gates uh, difference and making it a horrible experience. So it was it was, it was, good. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was good. Two tidbits, three tidbits that are interesting. I mentioned the uh, live wait times in the app. They are trialing currently, I don't know if it was already trialed when I was there, but they're trialing a new type of TSA checks which are kind of Stargate portals when they can uh, know from a little bit of a distance. They can see if you have an object concealed on you. Uh, oh, but yes. It, since the technology can work at a distance, the idea is that it will reduce or stop having to be scanned and then walk again. There's no radiation, of course, and they cannot see you naked or anything. It just says if there's any objects on you. They are making a lot of good things. They're they trying, are innovating. Sure. As a neighbor, they're innovating. They're also like a fully carbon neutral airport, which it's impressive. When you see the size of it, where it's located, you very say it's impressive. carbon neutral, it, it is actually very impressive. And they have, and that's very interesting, they have something that they call the experience hub, which is, so I've been, that's a long time ago now, and I mentioned it in the last episode, when I was doing these hackathon in the air, we visited the op center the command center of Hong Kong airport. So they have that, all airports have a command center. These guys where they set up on top of it, a command center for customers. So they not only are listening, you know, the usual social media and emails and whatever to answer really fast questions about everything. They also have live parking feeds so they they can directly know what are the load factors in the parking and stop people going from one floor, etc. They They have cameras all around the airport and they can quickly react to whatever happens. If something seems to be happening, they can send staff, redirect staff. They can add more TSA people to the TSA lines if they see this starts to be backed up. They can uh, redirect staff to busiest part of the terminal. So that's honestly, really, it seems to be very well done. And that's probably why they gotten that prize of yeah. airport of the year. That because makes a lot really, of sense then. They keep watching over everything that happens, and they try to answer as swiftly as possible. Exclusively everything that touches a customer. So it's not about, you know, operations. It's like making sure that the customer has a good experience at the yeah. airport. The Experience Hub is located in Terminal D. I don't think we can visit it. I'm not sure. It's on the land side part of it. But uh, yeah, it, there's one example that I stumbled upon. We once got a call about a man flying from India. He didn't know that his travel agent had put him on a flight to Dallas instead of Washington-Dulles. <laughs> what Yikes. matter changes everything. Uh, and his daughter called us, called the airport for help. And what they did, what uh, the staff in this experience hub did, they sent someone to find him, explain what happened, stayed with him until they got him into a flight to Dulles, where he wanted to actually go, and also helped him on the way home. So really, you know, that's probably why they they got them that prices. That's that's a very interesting take and more approach should should be doing that. So I agree. I commend
1: them. Would you do a layover there with pleasure or is it just a thing? No, I think it's kind of out there. So, no, not really. It's it's <laughs> functional and so much tr- traffic runs through it. You kind of don't have a choice.
0: Yeah, if, especially if you're an American, obviously. So, yeah. yeah, I'll probably as well go again, maybe for your next birthday or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. At Benjamin Hotta, Benjamin Hatta, last January guys see i keep track of you guys when you send us stuff last january said he would love that we cover that airport because i think that's his home airport so there you go we covered it i hope you don't hate us for saying that it's not our most beloved airport it's not a bad one but he says that he would love to meet up and show us around if we ever are there so next time benjamin we might uh, take you up on that
1: yeah definitely
0: so uh, we said it in the last episode but let's do it again never mind next flights are maui
1: yes San Jose, and then maui and i'll let you know how that goes. be a first for me so
0: do you go back to san jose afterwards as well yes. You're... Okay. Yeah. and uh, for me it's tomorrow actually i need to start packing and leaving to tokyo with emirates Might be a surprise about that flight. I'll let you know soon. You'll see. And then Nur Sultan, as I said. And uh, the next episode, we're probably going to be the last episode of the year. Again, depending if we can uh, record or not. I'll do a comparison between two first classes. I've done Singapore first and Cathay first. Which one is on top? Suspense.
1: On that, happy travels. Safe travels, guys.